study for this morning. We want to have prayer. Um, there was an, an update um, from Susan about her Aunt Bobby and her cousin Shelly. She said they're doing better. We want to thank the Lord for that. She does have someone that she works with, a friend named Sheila, who is experiencing uh, headaches. She's going to be seeing um, the doctor about those. And uh, our friend Sandra has a, uh, had an interesting experience. I won't go into the, the details there. She's in South Africa, I think, now. Uh, but uh, this lady named uh, Chibet, or Chibet, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, we need to lift her up in prayer as well. And, and uh, our uh, sister Springleaf, she, uh, she's being very diligent and doing what she can and evangelizing and going to her family and such. And we want to keep her cousin Teresa and Teresa's son Dustin in prayer. They've been shown the light. They've been given the National Sunday Law. Uh, we pray that the Holy Spirit will... Uh, impress upon their hearts the need for a Savior and that they will accept Jesus. So let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer uh, together here this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you so much for Jesus, for your love and care for us, the forgiveness that you give to us. We claim the blood of Jesus. We ask forgiveness for our sins. And we pray, Lord, that you will remove these idols from our hearts uh, that we may have clean and pure hearts and be ready to meet Jesus when He comes. We believe is very, very soon. Father, we lift up those who couldn't be here, those who are uh, sick and ill, uh, those who have inf- you know, uh, uh, emotional issues or, or mental issues. We pray that you be very near to them. Uh, it's easy in today's world to, to suffer from depression. We pray that we can be a light to those around us and especially to those who are suffering from such a, such a thing, that they may see Jesus. Uh, Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us here this morning and upon your people around the world. Time is short. We wish to be uh, one with Thee. Uh, Father, give me the words to speak this morning. Uh, may they be Your words, not my opinion. Uh, may they touch hearts, and may hearts uh, be open to receive this truth. Uh, Time is running out, Father, and we pray that you will hang in with us and stretch it out so that we can uh, finish the work that you've given us to do. We thank you so much for this Sabbath day, especially for Jesus. We pray in his blessed name. Amen. Uh, Some of you who may just be joining us through the internet, uh, we uh, have our little granddaughter with us this morning. She's just a few months old, a little precious thing. But you might hear a cry out in the background. That's just a little, uh, a little heads up to that. She kept us up till about two o'clock this morning, uh, until she finally calmed down. You know, she's in a new place. First time um, that I know of that she spent the night somewhere other than home, and so she was just having a little, little bit of a, a ruckus, and you know. <laughs> She was mad. Oh boy, she's got her grandmother's lungs. Let me tell you that. She can sing a tune. Yes, she can. Uh, I've entitled this particular study a Hail Mary. The Hail Mary, which is also commonly called the Ave Maria, that's Latin, or the Angelic Salutation, it, it is a traditional Catholic prayer asking for the intercession of the Virgin Mary. That's what it's all about. You know, the mother of Jesus. In Roman Catholicism, the prayer forms the basis of the rosary. And you've seen these Catholics that carry around that rosary. You know, and they, they pray to the Virgin Mary using the ro- rosary. And they, they, they do so many Hail Marys. See, it's a repetitive prayer. It's also called the Angelus Prayers, uh, part of that. And, and uh, um, it's... It's very sad to see this. This, of course, comes from a pagan background. Uh, But that's not the Hail Mary that I'm referring uh, to as I talk to you today. I'm talking about what is called a Hail Mary pass that you find in American football. A Hail Mary pass is, in case you don't know, it's a very long forward pass that is made in desperation with only you know a, a very little chance of success. And it's especially done, let's say, at the end of a half or towards the end of a game. It's a last-ditch effort to try to score to tie or win the game. 
So it's a last chance. It's a, it's a desperation attempt to defeat your opponent. And I want to tell you that this is what the devil is going to attempt before the end. This is what he's going to attempt, not a football pass, but the principle here, to overcome God's people. He's going to throw a Hail Mary pass, so to speak. Now let me share this quote with you as we begin. And I want you to consider the fact that history will repeat itself. And, and, you know, and as I read this from the book The Great Controversy, it's on page 76, history will repeat itself. Now, don't get me wrong. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, I've read recently some certain pastors talking about certain prophetic events, and they bring some of the time elements involved in it. And uh, I think what she means, the prophet means by history will, will repeat itself, is the attitudes and, and the afflictions and the persecutions are going to repeat themselves. Not the time prophecies. So don't get confused. Once a prophecy has been fulfilled, friends, it is fulfilled. It's not going to repeat itself. But remember, there's only two spirits in this world, isn't there? There's the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist will show itself throughout time. You'll see the results of it. And the results are always going to be the same. And so that's what she means by history is going to repeat itself. Now, I want to read this for, to you. It's, it's from the Great Controversy, page 76. And, and I want you to think about this as we get started. She says, the Waldensian missionaries were invading the kingdom of Satan and the powers of darkness aroused to greater vigilance. Do we see that today? Absolutely, friends. She says, every effort to advance the truth was watched by the prince of evil and he excited the fears of his agents. The papal leaders saw a portent of danger to their cause from the labors of these humble itinerants. If the light of truth were allowed to shine unobstructed, it would sweep away the heavy clouds of error that enveloped the people. It would direct the minds of men to God alone and would eventually destroy the supremacy of Rome. And friends, that was the reason for persecuting the followers of God. The devil is just, I will tell you right now, the devil is just as afraid of the three angels' messages today. He's just as angry against God's word today as he was then. The devil is furious. Can you not see that today? He is furious. He is as afraid today as he was afraid of the Waldensian missionaries then, and for the very same reason. An acceptance, you see, friends, of the three angels' messages and an understanding of the truth of those messages will destroy large religious movements today that are based and founded on error. The errors that are espoused by Satan and have been for hundreds of years. It will destroy them. You see, the three angels' messages will sweep away all the clouds of darkness. So the devil's afraid. And he has reason to be fearful because he's going to lose. <laughs> we know the end of the book, don't we? We know the end of the story. And so he's furious and his ferocity is the ferocity, let's say, of like an animal that's been wounded in his fight for life. Very dangerous. It's very dangerous. If you come a... a across almost any animal. Now, a number of them are docile, don't get me wrong, but if you come across one that can be ferocious and has been wounded, you're in a much worse spot than if he wasn't wounded, see? And so Satan's last attempt to thwart God's purpose involves an attack, an attack from satanic forces, an attack from the dragon, as he's described in, in Revelation 12. And we see very clearly in Revelation 12, and in particular verse 17. It says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. That means he was angry, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Why? Because they keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he's on the attack. And friends, he is on the attack today, much more so than he was yesterday, last week, last month, last year. 
this can tell us a couple things. First of all, the three angels' messages is getting out there because he's upped his ferocity. The second thing is that uh, time is short. Much shorter than we think. Now this attack of his, it has two phases. It has a long... I know. It is. It has a long preliminary phase and then a short final phase. Which we're, we're very rapidly approaching, friends. Now the first, the long preliminary phase of this attack scheme is to... Essentially, it's to deceive as many of God's professed people as possible. So that they, they won't realize that they've actually changed leaders and that they are on a different side than they think that they are on. I talked about the GC session uh, <laughs> this morning before we started. They think that they're on the right course now. But friends, they're, they're listening to the wrong leader, the wrong spiritual leader. And we need to pray for these dear souls. They think that they're on the right side. Let me share this with you. It's from the Youth's Instructor, July 31st, 1902. She says, The time is right upon us when every kind of deception will be practiced. Boy, I tell you, when I see the words every kind of deception, that grabs my attention. What did Jesus tell us about this? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So Jesus is telling us we need to beware. We need to be on our toes, not slumbering. What does it mean when it says, Come to you in sheep's clothing? Well, friends, that means that outwardly they appear to be members of the church. But the most deceptive attacks, friends, will come from those who profess to be our brethren. Do we see it today? From Manuscript Releases, volume 13, page 89, notice this. She says, as we near the end, temptations will be stronger... And I want you to pay attention to this next word and keep it in the back of your mind as we go on. She says, Temptations will be stronger and more seductive. That's an interesting word, isn't it? What does seductive mean? It means the temptations will be attractive. They'll be deceptive. Attractive and deceptive. And that's going to result in the shaking and the the sifting of God's people. Is there any doubt that we are in the time of the end, my friends? Do we see this happening? Oh, yes, we do. I hope you do. But to completely understand Satan's last attempt, his Hail Mary pass, so to speak, to, to thwart God's purpose, you have to first understand what God's two great objectives are in the end time, in our time. Because God has two objectives in the last generation. Well, He has more than that, but two main ones. You can read about the first objective in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And then He tells how even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Right? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the church, aren't we? That Jesus might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. What kind of church? Not having what? Spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here it's predicted that Jesus is going to have a church in the last generation that is what? That is without spot or wrinkle. One that is holy and without blemish. God is going to have a perfected people. 
Of course, we're not talking about physical, our bodies, physical perfection. We're talking about character and a reflection of character. So Satan's first purpose is to attempt to keep that from happening, you see. And that's the reason for all kinds of heresies that we see coming in and fanaticisms and different uh, winds of doctrine. Satan is trying to keep people sidetracked, you see, into some kind of heresy. And he does that so that they'll never reach perfection of character to be like that of Jesus. And you can read now, let's go to Revelation chapter 14. We're very familiar with Revelation 14. You can read about God's second end-time objective objective in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. It says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. And, and we're going to get more and more into prophecy here, friends, as we go along in the coming weeks. We'll get into Revelation 14 here very, very soon. He says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people... That's how many, how many people? Who is that? That's the whole world, isn't it? Saying with a loud voice to do what? Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him that did what? He made the heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. So it says that these messages are going to go to the world's population. Now, God's not going to force anybody to accept these messages, is He? God never uses force. But everyone has to know about them. That's the point. It's a loud cry. It's a loud message. Right? It says in verse 7, saying with a loud voice. So it's going to go worldwide. Now, why doesn't... Why does it have to go worldwide? Well, they have to know, don't they, right? So they have an opportunity to make an intelligent decision. That's part of the love of God. He loves everyone. So they got to they gotta know in order to make an intelligent decision whether or not they're going to receive the mark of the beast or not. And they can't make that decision if they have no idea what the mark of the beast is. And that's what the third angel's message is about, isn't it? And they cannot make that decision if they have no idea what Babylon is. And that's what the second angel's message is about. And they really can't make an intelligent decision to re receive the seal of God unless they understand that there is a Creator who made the earth and who's going to judge the world. And that's what the first angel's message is about. So you see, the devil is determined that God's second objective here will never happen. That's his purpose. And that's one of the reasons for uh, the lawsuit the General Conference had against Rafael Perez 15 years ago, friends. 15 years ago. It was to stop people who were trying to get the message out to all the world. The result of God's two objectives is that he has a special testimony for his people in this last generation. Uh, a, a, a special testimony, a straight testimony, or the testimony of Jesus, as it was called there in Revelation twelve seventeen. It has been granted to the remnant church. It has been granted to the Seventh-day Adventist people. We have the spirit of prophecy. No other church has that. No other people has that. We have the straight testimony. And Ellen White says it will result in a shaking in the church. And friends, we've been seeing this for many, many years. And yet, it just seems like we slumber. But this shaking, it'll do two, it'll do two things. Some are going to be shaken out, and others will receive the seal of God. This is from the Crest Collection, page 124. The message must, must go from east to west and from west to east again. A great shaking up must come. It's got to happen. We see it throughout history that this is the way it's, way it's happened. But this is the last chance, friends. It's the last chance. And so the sealing, the, 
the sifting and the shaking, they're in process now. A refining process is going on in every church around the world. People are coming in, people are going out. I'm talking about local churches and such. But we see it in the definition of who the church is. There are only two, right? And there are people changing sides during this time. It's happening all the time. The time is running out. This is from Review and Herald, March 19, 1895. The Lord is soon to come. Do you believe that? The Lord is soon to come. There must be a refining, winnowing process in every church, for there are among us wicked men who do not love the truth. There is need of a transformation of character. Will the church arise and put on her beautiful garments the righteousness of Christ? It is soon to be seen who are vessels unto honor. And so, friends, we know from Revelation twelve seventeen we read earlier, that we as God's people, will be attacked. Now, we've had a few skirmishes, you know, in the past, and we're just now starting to get more heat as Christians. I think you've probably noticed that. But we're going to have an attack that will be front-page worldwide news. Let me tell you. And this point of the attack will be a religious liberty issue over, over Sabbath and Sunday. That's what it's going to be. And you can read about that in Revelation 13. Between verses 13 to 17, 18, along in there. We'll get into that in some later studies. But this crisis, my friends, is just before us. The current Pope, if you've been paying attention, he's starting to push harder for Sunday reverence for Christians, and then it's going to be urged upon everyone. There's going to be a, a fierce conflict of mind with mind, of principle with principle, of truth with error. Are we preparing for that? As I'm telling you, friends, we are very fast approaching this crisis and it'll be an all-out attack from the devil and the whole world will they're going to appear to be on his side thinking they're on the side of the Lord. Do you see the battle coming, friends? If you see the battle coming, what should you and I do about it? Just sit back and watch it happen? No, friends. That's avoiding the issue, isn't it? That's exactly what the devil's trying to get many Adventists to do. Just sit back and watch it happen. All we've got to do is sit back and wait for the Sunday law to be enacted and then, then we do what the Lord asks us to do. We flee, we go hide in caves and mountains. Really? Is that what the Lord would have us do? Do you know that you can't be involved in the victory that's coming to God's people unless you're also involved in the conflict that precedes the victory? So, beloved, we must pray. We need to pray, each one of us, for faith and strength to be active in this battle. From uh, 1888 Materials, page uh, 1038, she says, This world is the great field where the last battle is to be fought. Now every man who is on the Lord's side will come up to the battle of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. And the walls, notice this, she says, and the walls of Antichrist shall fall before the captain of the Lord's host. That's fantastic. We have a promise that the walls of Antichrist are going to fall and there is victory for God's faithful remnant people. Unfortunately, there are some Adventists today who talk as though they, they don't even know who Antichrist is. Do you think you can attack a city, you can attack a wall, if you don't even know where the wall is? God wants you to know for sure who the Antichrist is, what his program is, and that's why we spent uh, you know, a fair portion of time on that subject of Antichrist a few studies ago. We'll get into it in more detail in the coming weeks, though. I gave you enough to identify who he is. If you can't identify him from what was given a few weeks ago, you really need to pray. Notice this, Review and Herald, November 19, 1903. God never leaves the world without men who can discern between good and evil, 
righteousness and unrighteousness. God never leaves the world without righteousness there, friends. God has men whom He has appointed to stand in the forefront of the battle in times of emergency. And couple that with this statement from Manuscript Release, Releases, Volume 16, page 238. These will, talking about these same men, these will see the battle coming and will give the trumpet a certain sound. When the crisis is upon us, when the season of calamity shall come, they will come to the front, gird themselves with the whole armor of God, and exalt His law, adhere to the faith of Jesus, and maintain the cause of religious liberty. Let me ask you something, you Americans, you U.S. citizens. Is there an attack on the First Amendment? Is there an attack on religious liberty today like there hasn't been since the beginning of this and the founding of this country? I'll tell you, friends, this crisis is upon us and we must not be paralyzed. We need to go to the Lord in prayer and claim the promises of Scripture. You know, sometimes when I talk about these things, and I have to talk about these things, it's part of my job description to warn the people, to prepare you. When I talk about it, some say, well, Pastor Joel, I'm so weak. I'll never make it. I'm so weak. You know what the Bible says about that, friends? It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read some to you. Hebrews 11, verse 32 Paul, he says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Notice this. He says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. How'd they do this? He says, By faith. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made weaker? No. Were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Friends, it just takes belief. Strengthen your faith. When you start to, to, to exercise your faith, you will get stronger. We're approaching this last battle, this major attack that Satan will bring against the remnant, and this attack will be a most determined effort, you see, to blot from the face of the earth all those who keep the commandments of God. That's what he's trying to do. That's why there's a death penalty involved. And some people today, they don't know who Antichrist is. At least it doesn't appear that they do. And they ask, why do you have to talk so plain? Let me tell you why. Because if you, you don't know for sure exactly who Antichrist is, then one of these days you're going to join Antichrist and be part of it and not even know what happened. And you'll actually think you're doing God's will. That's the danger of it. And I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. It's from the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 949. She says, those who become confused in their understanding of the word, who fail to see the meaning of Antichrist, will surely place themselves on the side of Antichrist. Now that's quite a prophecy right there. If you don't know who Antichrist is, you're going to be with Antichrist. Right? That's right, Ellie. You see, you know, a lot of people don't know what the Greek word anti means. The original meaning of the Greek word anti is somebody who stands in the place of somebody else. That's what it means. And if we could, uh, would convert it to Latin, a Latin word that means the same thing is vicar. And Antichrist is the vicar of Christ, someone who stands in the place of Christ. Who claims that title today? Who has for thousands of years here? The Pope claims that title, doesn't he? The vicar of Christ. Let me tell you, friends, unless the Holy Spirit is in control of your mind, 
the delusion is going to be so much like the real thing that you'll be deceived. You'll believe that you're worshiping Jesus Christ. You'll believe that you're having the greatest religious experience that you've ever had, but you're going to be deluded. And let me tell you something. The devil can give people wonderful feelings. We're headed toward this major attack. It's right around the corner. Like I said, we've had some skirmishes, but there's going to be a major all-out attack against the remnant people of God. And during this attack, we've got to be careful. Let me caution you, beloved. We need to reflect the love of Jesus. We need to be careful that we never manifest the spirit of the enemy. We are to stand for the truth. But we're never to manifest the spirit of the enemy while standing for that truth. Review and Herald article, February 7th, 1893. She says, Although we are to stand firm as a rock to principle, we should be courteous and Christ-like in our dealings with all men. In meekness and love, we should tell the people why we cannot accept the papal Sabbath, because it is a mark of special dishonor to God, whom we love and we worship. But while we sacredly observe the Sabbath of the Lord, it is not our work to compel others to observe it. That word compel, she's saying. God never forces the conscience. That's Satan work. That's why we don't go and we, we're not to push legislation that everybody is to keep the Sabbath day holy. That'd be just as bad as having the Sunday law. And as we approach this final attack, now remember, the first thing is for the devil to move in and to deceive as many of God's people as he can. That's why we have these winds of doctrine and these fanaticisms and heresies and such. The, the, the prophet tells us that, that, uh, that he's going to come dressed in angel robes. Isn't that interesting? As an angel of light. And is he going to be successful? It's terrible to, to realize, friends, that the majority of the professed remnant is going to be deceived. He's going to be successful. They're going to be deceived. They will believe that they're having these marvelous religious experiences. That the church, like I said before, it's on the right track now. Just give it time. It's on the right track. It's headed the right direction. We're going to have a marvelous religious experience. But it's the wrong spirit. They have the wrong leader. Changed leaders don't even know it. Here's another one. Another statement, let me share. Manuscript Releases, Volume 13, page 379. In His Word, the Lord declared what He would do for Israel if they would obey His voice. But the leaders of the people yielded to the temptations of Satan, and God cannot give them the blessings He designed them to have because they did not obey His voice, but listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer. Policy. I've read some articles recently. This vote in San Antonio doesn't matter because we're going to stay with the policies that have already been enacted by a committee from the General Conference. We need to be very careful with policy, friends. She says this experience will be repeated in the last years. Notice it's not the time frames and time prophecies. It's the experience of this history they will be repeated. This experience will be repeated in the last years of the history of the people of God. Are we in the last years? Let me ask you that. You believe we're in the last years? We better pay heed then, if we believe that, to what she's saying here. This experience will be repeated in the last years of the history of the people of God who have been established by His grace and power. Men whom he has greatly honored will in the closing scenes of this earth's history pattern after ancient Israel. What will happen? What's she saying? Among Seventh-day Adventists, men whom God has greatly honored 
will pattern after ancient Israel. What was that? What was that pattern? They listened to the voice and policy of Lucifer. And when people do that, it looks like they're doing the right thing from a human standpoint, friends. That's the way it's presented. Let me ask you again, are we not seeing this happening today? And when Christians are deceived by Satan, they think that something wonderful has happened. That's why it's so deceptive. In 1903, Ellen White said that in her days, a strain of, uh, of spiritualism was coming in among the people of God. And if you go back and you look at history, you'll see that that was the time of the Kellogg crisis, you know, the, the pantheism crisis, the alpha of deadly heresies that she described it, which would go on and later become the omega. It would be manifested. There is a strain of spiritualism coming in among our people. And this is the first part, the first phase of the attack that I talked about earlier. And from Manuscript Relations, Volume 21, the prophet said that this spiritualism would undermine, she says, the faith of those who give place to it, leading them to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you know what it means to be under seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Remember that quote I read as we began, and it said, seduction? Remember that? Do you know what it means to be under seducing spirits? Do you know what happens when you're under that influence? Well, it, it produces a change in the state of your affections. People who have a, a change in the state of their affections have changed leadership, spiritually speaking. And if you told them that they were under the influence of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, you know, what would they say? Oh, you're absolutely right, Pastor Joel. Yeah, we are. No, they wouldn't. They say, no, I'm a historic Adventist. I believe everything that you believe. What has happened to your affections, friends? Have they changed? Are your affections pure? Are they holy in the sight of God? Are they holy so you wouldn't have a guilty conscience if Jesus should come today? From the same volume, manuscript release, same page, we go on. She says, I have seen the arch deceiver tempting several of our ministers, teachers, and medical workers, presenting fanciful theories to them in a most subtle and charming manner to wean their affections from those whom they should love and cherish. Notice that she says, to do what? To wean their affections from who? the people that they should love and cherish. Now, who are the people that you should love and cherish? Well, let's say, if you're married, haven't you taken vows to love and cherish somebody? Yes, you have. You have made a solemn covenant in the presence of witnesses and in the presence of God. And it is the devil's business... This is what he's doing to wean your affections, to get you to place your affections on somebody else. Somebody else other than who you're supposed to have affections for. And do you know how deceptive this gets? Let me share with you what happens here. So we read on. Same manuscript release, volume 21, page 173. She says, He, that's the devil, Shows them, now get this, shows them charming pictures of women whom they found congenial, suggesting that in the future life they will be united to the one who is so congenial and whom they will ever love throughout the ages of eternity. Now, the people to whom this counsel was written, they didn't leave their wives or their husbands. But there had been some change in their affections, you see. It's still a violation of the marriage vow. And the person that has a change in his affections like that, I'm going to tell you, is not converted. 
They don't belong to Jesus Christ at all. In fact, it was this kind of deception that led to this powerful statement you find later in the same manuscript releases. Volume 21, but on page 380. And I hope, as I share this with you, I hope things are starting to come together for you. She says, We must, as a people, arouse and cleanse the camp of Israel. Licentiousness, unlawful intimacy, and unholy practices are coming in among us in a large degree. And ministers who are handling sacred things are guilty of sin in this respect. They are coveting their neighbor's wives. And the seventh commandment is broken. And here's the statement, friends. We are in danger of becoming a sister to fallen Babylon. Of allowing our churches to become corrupted and filled with every foul spirit. A cage for every unclean and hateful bird. And will we be clear unless we make decided movements to cure the existing evil? Friends, did they make movements, decided movements, to cure that existing evil? (laughs) No, they did not. Some think that no matter what the Adventist organization does, God will wean out the wicked and the ship will go through. Let me tell you, there are several problems with that kind of thinking, but the only ship that's going through is the one with Jesus at the helm. Not the one that has changed their captain, the one who has changed affections, changed leaders. We go back to page 173 of this manuscript. She says, my message to our teachers is, if you hold such views, you need to be taught the first principles of truth. You need to stand where you know that you're not departing from the faith and giving heed to seducing spirits. There it is again. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When you break the spell that is upon you and become teachable, you will escape Satan's snare. There's a key. What what needs to happen? You need to become teachable. You need to have a teachable spirit. And that will break the spell. You'll escape Satan's snare. And she goes on. To all who are thus tempted, I would say, I want to see you standing free before God. I want to see you sound in the faith, holding the beginning of your confidence firm until the end. Leave every false issue alone. Well, what happens? Satan brings up all these false issues. As the saying goes, Adventists are chasing all these devil rabbits around everywhere as time ticks and ticks on. Friends, I want to tell you, the devil wants to wean your affections away from those you should love and cherish. He wants you to get them on somebody else. And if he can do that, He already has you. He doesn't need to wait for a Sunday law for you. He already has you. And then there's another design, another way he attacks to deceive God's people. And this is something you see quite a lot. People don't want to have to stand for something that is unpopular. They don't want to be alone. Do you think the devil plays plays that? They want to be united with others so much that they want to fraternize with Babylon. <laughs> you know, people don't like to call it Babylon anymore. Have you noticed that? Oh, Babylon, don't bring up the B word. Babylon. Adventists have forgotten who Babylon is. And so they go on and they associate with Babylon. And let me tell you, friends, oh, beloved, there is plenty of evidence that God's professed people secretly are in the process of uniting with the papacy. I can tell you that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's been completed now, but I know that it's going to happen because prophecy predicts that it'll happen. Reminded me of this in Luke 19. 
Verse 41, speaking of Jesus, said, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. People don't really know what's best for their peace. If you want to be at peace with God, you see to it that you're standing in favor of and taking a bold and an uncompromising stand for the three angels' messages, friends, which is His last message of mercy before probation closes on mankind. Doing God's will always brings peace to the soul, friends. I want you to pay attention here. There's a reason I shared this scripture. More than one reason. In commenting on this text in Luke 19, Ellen White said, this is from the Review and Herald, October 8, 1901. She said, When the Savior saw in the Jewish people a nation divorced from God, pay attention to this. She says, When the Savior saw, he's standing there, When the Savior saw in the Jewish people a nation divorced from God, he saw also a professed Christian church united to the world and the papacy. Did you catch that? Who was that professed Christian church united to the world and the papacy? Friends, if you continue reading that Review and Herald article, you'll see very clearly that she's talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uniting with the papacy is the first part of the attack. This is why you get these statements about we have more to fear from those within than from without. (laughs) But let's look at the second and final part of the attack which will seem very long, seems like it's going to last very long, but actually be uh, very short in time span. It'll be very short. The Hail Mary pass of desperation by Satan here. Now, we know the devil has deceived the great majority already, for we have people today who want to sue others for openly and, and publicly proclaiming the three angels' messages, or almost any part of Christianity as far as that goes. In fact, Specifically, the three angels' messages is being called hate speech in many places of the world. And like I said, there are people who no longer know who Babylon is. And when Seventh-day Adventist churches, let me tell you this, when Seventh-day Adventist churches start having Sunday worship services, I'm going to tell you right now, they've been deceived by Babylon. But after the majority are deceived, then the final attack will be on the remnant, the ones who are not deceived, because you're going to try to force them into submission, you see. And that'll be the Sunday Law crisis. And the Sunday Law crisis will result from the great apostasy that we see occurring today throughout Christendom. It may look like Christians will be pulling together here. This is all part... You know, this this whole LGBT thing and, and the Supreme Court and all, that's all to to Satan's ends to get the church to come together. To appear that there's a great revival going on. Now it's predicted in Revelation 13 that the leading churches in the United States are going to unite on those doctrines that are held by them in common. Do we see that happening? Well, if you have spiritual eyes, have you see it happening? Earlier this year, the Pope addressed the leaders in the charismatic movement, and they had a a real love fest together. Did you see that? Supposed Protestant denominations joining hands with Babylon the Great. And when they unite, they're going to have power to influence the government and get it to do what they want. And the government will be forced to submit you see, to the wishes of the church because the church will have enough of a majority that they'll be able to elect whomever they want. They will influence the government to enforce their decrees. And when they do that, 
So we read in the Great Controversy, page 445, then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. My friends, this is all laid out in Revelation chapters 13 through 18. Isn't it? Sure is. But let me share Revelation 13 and verse 15 specifically. It says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both what? Speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. How do churches do this? I mean, what does it mean to speak and cause? Well, in this country, friends, there are three ways, really, in which the churches will influence the government to enforce their decrees. One, one is the judicial process. We saw that just a few weeks ago. The churches will, although the churches weren't pushing it, but we saw that this process was in action. The churches will, through the judicial process, they're going to force the courts to make happen what they want to happen. And that's the first step. But of course, if you know your Bible, you know that that's forbidden in Scripture. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and by the way, let me tell you something about that. Spirit of Prophecy tells us that those who ignore this Bible counsel in 1 Corinthians 6 will be written in the courts of heaven as unbelievers. Do you know that? God's very clear on that point. Let me, let me ask you this question. Think about this. Are you really part of the church if you're written in the books of heaven as an unbeliever? Hmm. She also says, God will take away from them His Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Will the latter rain be poured out on people who are doing something like that? Taking brethren to court? Absolutely not. So the first is judicial. That's one way. Another way, second way, is through the legislature. That's how the church gained control. So the second step, you go to the legislature, you get different laws passed. And that's going to result in a national Sunday law. Now, you know, it may start out as a family day or some such thing, but it will eventually become more coercive and they'll force you to worship on Sunday, which is the mark of the Catholic Church. Now, you can choose whatever church you want, but you'll, you will worship on the first day of the week because it will be the law of the land, and that's all the land, the whole world, friends. There will be no work on that day. And then a third way is through the executive branch. So the churches will influence the executive branch of the government to enforce what has been legislated. And not just that. That also means using executive orders. Have you noticed that? This idea of executive orders, it's been abused for years. But the executive branch is in charge of the military. It's in charge of police departments. You see the police departments around this country uh, are, are becoming more militarized? Have you noticed that this is really a push to have a, a one-controlled, government-controlled police department? And they'll use jails and fines and so forth to coerce God's people. Let's go back to the book, The Great Controversy, page 445. The image to the beast represents that form of apostate Protestantism which will be developed when the Protestant churches shall seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogmas. The image of the beast. And so, if you read history, there's one thing about the third angel's message in Revelation 14, you know, verses 9-12 there, that stands out crystal clear. In the third angel's message... There are two groups described, isn't there? One group is going to receive the mark of the beast and as a result, the wrath of God. 
But there's another group described who are called the saints of God. Verse 12 says that the saints of God, they're called saints because they keep the commandments of God. But what about those who receive the mark of the beast? I mean, what's their problem? Well, they don't keep the commandments of God. They actually receive the wrath of God. And the Bible says that nobody who obeys the truth receives the wrath of God. So let's do some thinking here. The people who receive the wrath of God are those who obey unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 2, verse 8. John tells us in 1 John five seventeen that all unrighteousness is sin. And then he says in 1 John 3, 4, he says, sin is the transgression of the law. So let's think about this. Nobody receives the wrath of God unless they obey unrighteousness or unless they sin, unless they break God's law. And let me clarify that, not ignorantly, but by choice. Since the people who receive the mark of the beast will receive the wrath of God, it's evident that the mark of the beast involves the breaking of God's law, right? And the mark of the beast involves a deliberate, intentional change in God's law. And what is the area of God's law that prophecy predicts the Antichrist power would deliberately attempt to change that the whole world would follow after? It's the area of God's law that deals with time, isn't it? According to Daniel 7.25. And that's the very area that the Antichrist power claims they have changed. Isn't it remarkable how that fits together? You see, God wants us to know and understand what the truth is. Let me share this. Here's a statement from the papacy in answer to the question as to what day is to be observed in obedience to the fourth commandment. This is from the Catholic Catechism of Christian Religion. It's quoted actually in the Great Controversy, page 448. According to the Catholic Catechism, um, it says, quote, During the old law, Saturday was the day sanctified, but the church, instructed by Jesus Christ and directed by the Spirit of God, had substituted Sunday for Saturday, so now we sanctify the first, not the seventh day. Sunday means, and now is, the day of the Lord. Well, people who know their Bibles know that's not the case. But in their own words, the change of the Sabbath is the sign or the mark of the authority of the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church. It is the sign or the mark of the beast power. It's the sign or the mark of the Antichrist power. The Protestants acknowledge the same. Here's what one Protestant paper says about that. It's a report on the sermon of Dr. E.T. Hiscox. He was a Baptist minister at the convention It was reported in the New York Examiner. He says, To me it seems unaccountable that Jesus, during three years' discussion with his disciples, often conversing with them upon the Sabbath question, discussing it in some of its various aspects, freeing it from its false Jewish traditional glosses, never alluded to any transference of the day. Also that during the forty days of his resurrection life, no such thing was intimated. Nor, so far as we know, did the Spirit, which was given to bring to their remembrance all things whatsoever that he had said unto them, deal with this question. Nor yet did the inspired apostles in preaching the gospel, founding churches, counseling and instructing those founded, discuss or approach the subject. He's talking about the change of the Sabbath. So essentially, friends, there is no biblical evidence for a change of the Sabbath. There's no evidence from the apostles. There's no evidence from Jesus. This supposed change from Sabbath to Sunday is the sign, you see. They declare it. It's a sign. It's the mark. It's the authority of the papal power. So we've discovered before the Antichrist power. It's his mark. And when people reject the Bible Sabbath and accept Sunday worship knowing this, And as Sunday observance and the movement for the enforcement of Sunday Sunday observance uh, grows stronger, as it's doing right now, those who understand the claims of the fourth commandment and choose to observe the false instead of the true Sabbath, they actually pay homage 
you see, to that power by which Sunday worship is commanded, and that power is the papacy. So you can call yourself a Baptist, call yourself a Methodist, but you're paying homage to the papacy. In the very act of enforcing a religious duty by secular power, the churches themselves form an image to the beast. Church-state combined. And so, the enforcement of Sunday keeping in the United States would be an enforcement of the worship of the beast and his image, you see. Force, of course, is the last resort of every false religion. But friends, we do have the promise that as we draw near this final attack, God's grace will be given in every way proportionate to the trials that, that will be suffered to come upon us. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's comforting. Here's something that's comforting too. This is from Signs of the Times, September 2nd, 1897. Angels will be sent to our rescue. If we do not deliberately go into temptation, God will sustain us when the temptation comes. Well, friends, the most exciting times in world history are right before us. Do you believe that? Because the signs are all there that Bible prophecy is about to be fulfilled, as the prophet says, in rapid succession, and Jesus is coming soon. But we have a work to do, don't we? We have a work to do to see to it that we are not deceived, that the the devil does not change the state of our affections so that we're not ready for Jesus to come. And let me tell you, the devil is working. He's working. In Patriarchs and Prophets, in the chapter entitled Apostasy at the Jordan, it's like page 452, 53, somewhere in there, it talks about this. And it gives approximately 20 ways in which the devil tempts people to break the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment, friends. Just as he did with Israel right before they entered the promised land, he's going to do with us just before we enter the promised land. And I want to tell you, friends, it's happening all over the world. The devil's seeking to bring about a change in the state of our affections because if he can do that, he's got us. He's got us. And there are many, many people who make their final separation from God's people, but they still go to church every Sabbath. They get divorced and then remarry when they had no biblical grounds. That's breaking the seventh commandment, isn't it? And friends, God has not changed. But the devil has come in to deceive the people. And this is one of the main reasons where, uh, or the main areas, that he's deceiving even conservative Adventists. Friends, don't be deceived and get taken over by the devil in the preliminary phase before the final attack even happens. (laughs) From the Great Controversy, page 561. Little by little, he has prepared the way for his masterpiece of deception in the development of spiritualism. And let me tell you where spiritualism is involved. It involves changing the state of a person's affections. And that's how the devil uses spiritualism, even in the Adventist church. He changes the state of a person's affections. Quoting from the same source, he has not yet reached the full accomplishment of his designs, but it will be reached in the last remnant of time. Friends, I believe that we are living in that last remnant of time where we see the devil reaching the full accomplishment of his design. He's bringing spiritualism right in among Seventh-day Adventists and deceiving them in such a skillful way that they don't even know anything's happening. They think they're having a wonderful religious experience. We're on the right track now. Everything's peaches and cream. It's looking up. Friends, be ready for the attack. Be ready. Jesus said we are to be ready. We're to watch and pray. It's Satan's Hail Mary attempt, friends, to thwart God's purpose. 
The Lord wants to deliver you from all attachment to sin. Do you believe that? He wants to restore the state of your affection so that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, pray like you've never prayed before. I'm encouraging. Time is running out. The Bible tells us the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Watch and pray, Jesus said. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for your holy word, for your Holy Spirit. Gives us these signs, who opens our eyes to see these signs so that we may be prepared for what's coming and help to prepare others. Our time is short, much shorter than we can imagine. This world's going to change abruptly, very soon. Help us to be prepared for that point when it happens so that we can, we can love people as Jesus loves them and they can be saved. We thank you, Father, for this holy Sabbath day that we can still come apart and, and worship Thee, sing praises to Thee. Please continue to be with us. And in the coming days ahead, we know we have a tough time ahead and we want to cling close to Jesus. Help us to do that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.